0: Canada's live music economy has been hit hard by this year's pandemic. And with our city's abundance of independent live music venues, Kingston is certainly no exception. They play a vital cultural role in our community. They play an economic role by drawing residents and visitors downtown. They're a source of income for the many local artists who play them, not to mention the promoters. And they help employ hundreds of others, from bar and wait staff to sound engineers and even cleaners. But for months now, Health and safety regulations have prohibited music performances to a live audience of any size. While regulations are loosening as our province enters Stage 3 of the COVID-19 recovery plan, it doesn't change the fact that our city's live music venues were the first businesses to close, and they'll be the last ones to open. And having gone without the revenue from live music for so long, the very survival of many of these venues is threatened. Without urgent action... A significant part of Kingston's and Canada's musical economy could be wiped out and it could take decades to rebuild. Today, we're joined by Aaron Benjamin, president of the Canadian Live Music Association. We're also joined by Andrew Brown, manager of the Toucan and Chris Glendenning, owner of the beloved Musiki Cafe.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to our 20th episode. I'm Kingston Live executive producer Rob Howard. I am not usually the familiar voice that you're hearing. Um, that voice belongs to our uh, our production lead here, Johnny San. Uh, he's taking the day off. Actually, he's not off at all. He's just here behind the wall um monitoring all the sound levels and doing his his magic um I'm joined today by one of our other uh uh interviews who've joined us in past episodes uh Pete Pete Sanfilippo Yeah uh, I'm not always here but right
2: now I'm maintaining the Fifty percent San Felipe average that we've been keeping up throughout the podcast. <laughs>
1: right, on. I think the last time you and I were on an episode might have been our year-end roundup for 2019, back in December, just before, certainly before the COVID 19 pandemic hit, um, and as particularly we're talking today about just the impact that it's had on Canada's live music economy and specifically the impact it's had on, on Kingston's. We enjoy such an amazing and diverse and healthy, normally healthy and thriving live music scene here in Kingston, um, with the abundance of live music venues that we have. And I'm feeling, and I'm feeling anxious, um, that I have not been able to go and take in live music. I mean, the live streams have been fantastic and, uh, and I participate in those whenever I can and tune into those whenever I can. Lots of great uh, talent and lots of great performances to take in. But it's, you know, for it just leaves me wanting more, wanting that live music experience. And I don't know if you're feeling the same.
2: I think everyone that is a, a consumer of live music and a consumer of really any music is, is all, we all have kind of a similar sentiment right now of, it's weird that if at the beginning of the year, we're like, this is the, the festival that I'm most excited about, but I'm also going to these three and these are the shows that I'm stoked for. And like these people are releasing these albums and just this hit and just completely derailed all that.
1: I think it really sucks, especially for some of Kingston's um, bands and artists. I know the glorious sons were on a tour. I think that got canceled. They just won a Juno um, and, uh, it seems so anticlimactic, you know, it's, it's almost like, well, we can't celebrate even with a live show. Uh, Sarah Harmer just put out an album and had planned a tour. Oak or Jav uh, put out a great album, um, which they were planning to support with a tour and all that's gone. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine. um, I mean, the impact on the venues is one thing, but the impact on, on the artists who play those venues is, is something else.
2: Also even like all the, uh, (laughs) the YGK emerging artists winners from last year, like this was going to be a big opportunity to, you know, take advantage of that, that, um,
1: the momentum, momentum.
2: there we go. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, we're going to, we're just gonna have to see, you know, what, what comes of that? Like, maybe we'll get some recordings. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just have to wait. But it's such a weird, frustrating thing to see.
1: My favorite part of the summer is looking forward to almost on a weekly basis here in Kingston, the music festivals that are largely outdoors here. Uh, You know, everything from the Wolf Island Music Festival that happens in the west on, on Wolf Island, or sorry, the east on Wolf Island um to uh the McKinnon Brothers Back to the Farm festival that happens later in the summer on uh, in, in the West End. Um and it's unfortunate because those are always the highlights of my summer. You know, whenever I'm talking to people in the fall, it's how was your summer? And it was oh, it was great. I went to you know, this festival and that festival and I saw these bands and it was awesome and you know, it's I never am left wanting um for live music being a resident of Kingston and having you know, so many live music festivals and great acts coming through here as part of those festivals in the summertime.
2: And we've been definitely very privileged in ever having to have a lack of performances happening. If you want to hear some music, you can just go pretty much anywhere downtown. And there's somewhere, somewhere, you know, someone's great is playing somewhere pretty much any night. So it's, it's such a strange thing to see that element of the local culture be, uh, be uprooted. Yeah. We're all just, just waiting. I
1: I hope you and I, Pete, get to host some more podcast episodes soon. I feel like six or seven months now has been too long because we could probably talk music all day. But um, we do, we want to approach our 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 podcast episodes with the mindset of not necessarily having a static uh, cast of interviewers in mind, but uh, more like a rotating stable of interviewers and um, and maybe even having some guest interviewers on from time to time from uh, Kingston's live music scene and live music economy here to represent a different voice um, and ask different questions and share different perspective uh, through some of the interviews that we do here. So, but at the very least, I hope we're on again soon. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. We're speaking with the president of the Canadian live music association, Aaron Benjamin, as well as, Two live music venue uh, operators, um, Andrew Brown from the Toucan Pub, the legendary Toucan. Many bands claim to have got their start there. Uh, and they've been around for many, many years. A real cornerstone and pillar of Kingston's live music scene. And also Chris Clendenning from Musiki Cafe. And while well, they're not as old as the Toucan Pub... They have, in a few short years, become a really important part of Kingston's live music scene. I know it's a favorite venue of mine and many, many others who love to take in live music, but also a favorite of of musicians, um, many of whom play there on a regular basis. And so really looking forward to the conversation about the impact of the pandemic and what stage three recovery and beyond is going to look like for them as we kind of head towards reopening the province for business. Aaron, I wanted to start with you. You're originally from Toronto. You now call Ottawa home, our capital city. Being Canada's original capital, but now a mid-sized city that punches way above its weight musically, we like to call Kingston Canada's first capital of music. But let's start with the macro view. What's the situation across Canada that many live music venues find themselves facing in the midst of COVID-19, including the many venues here in Kingston?
3: Oh well, it's it's catastrophic um and I, you know i'm I'm not going to sugarcoat anything during this i you know I've spent a career in this business and I'm always talking about putting a positive spin on things um but it's just not possible right now, so i'm not I'm not going to. It's catastrophic. It's devastating, and as you said uh, in the intro, it's uh, we are we're potentially looking at decades of recovery, generations of people working in the music industry—from artists to sound techs, to venue owners and managers, promoters. If there are any left standing at the end of this, you know, the our the live music industry in this country could look potentially extremely different. I think there are silver linings, and um, we can maybe unpack some of those as we go through today. But generally. There's no one city or region that's been spared. I mean, I guess that's a silver lining. We're all in this together, um, which is normally a good thing. Um, But from Halifax to Calloway to Yellowknife and Calgary and Saskatoon, I know I'm not. I'm I'm routing a really bad tour right there. But uh, at the very basic level, the new normal has to be earning revenue and work for artists. So revenue for venues, selling tickets selling food and beverage, whatever that is, and being able to run these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of small businesses across the country.
1: As the president of the Canadian Live Music Association, what kind of stories have you been hearing from some of your members who represent some of Canada's independent live music venues uh, across the country?
3: Well, I mean, they range, right? There are, a lot, there are a lot of people really inspired by the potential for innovation and pivoting. And then there are those who are terrified they're not going to be able to feed their kids. And And I tell you, I'm on the front line of this and I get very emotional when I talk about this because it's, you know, it's just so hard to imagine what some people are going through. And um, I hear all kinds of stories and, and people are frustrated, but there is one consistent thing. I think people in the live music industry really recognize the role and responsibility, the role we play, the responsibility we have to keep people safe, especially artists and our, our workers. And, and of course our fans. So I'm not, I mean, there are a lot of people anxious to get back to it, but they want to do it right because I think the stakes are so incredibly high. If we're to reopen, as we're looking at in Ottawa and some parts, most, most of Ontario now is stage three and we're seeing other provinces already there. You know, if there was to be any kind of significant outbreak or situation at a live music venue, it would put us back as an industry right across the country. I'm convinced of this. If there was a flare up somewhere in B.C., it will affect all of us. And I'm just picking on B.C. It could be anywhere. It would be really, really bad for business. Take all of this together and, um, you know, you've got venues from across the country just trying to figure it out. Do they innovate? Do they pivot? Do they shutter? Do they close? Do they wait it out? I mean, it's still day by day which is what a what a long road to here. And um, I believe this is only one baby step on this very long journey.
1: Organizations like Canadian Live Music Association that you represent and, and the Canadian Independent Venues Coalition has really picked up the torch on behalf of independent venues um, to make their case um, known and, and known to government officials and others uh, who are, are in positions to provide support. Some Kingstonians and Canadians may be listening, though, and thinking, you know live music is the least of our worries or feeling like it's less important to our economic recovery than than other sectors why should canadians be paying closer attention to the situation impacting our country's music venues just how important is the economic impact of live music to communities and cities like kingston or to canada as a whole
3: Such a great and important question. And in fact, it's part of the reason why this association that I run was created five and a half years ago was to entrench the economic, social, and cultural value and power of live music for people because, you know, we haven't done a great job as an industry to really tell our story either to government or to the public. So we have that opportunity now and there's a lot of irony in in what's happening. But in terms of why this industry is important? Uh, so every every city and town in this country has a local live music economy, and when you unpack that economy, and uh, you start to recognize the both the direct and indirect economic impact. So when I go to the Toucan, for example, you know for a show, maybe I'm having dinner down the street, maybe I'm parking or I'm taking an Uber or taxi, or or uh, maybe I've come to town and I'm staying at a hotel. Maybe I took the train in. I'm buying, you know, whatever I need to for I'm 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 there as a tourist. Or maybe maybe I'm at a show in my own backyard in Ottawa, but I, I've, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of ancillary spending, direct and indirect benefits to the small businesses around that experience, you know, that not everyone is thinking about. And as a matter of fact, the, the live music industry in this country creates 72,000 jobs from coast to coast to coast and has a contribution to GDP of approximately an estimated $3 billion. We are, we are, so we, as a standalone industry, we're large. And in some provinces, we're bigger than film and television. We're bigger than a lot of industries, in fact, uh, uh, depending on where you're looking. But more importantly, so you've got the economic piece, you've got the social piece. We're social creatures. Gathering is what we do. This is why it's, so, it's been so inconceivable to actually get our heads around, at least for me, what's been happening. I mean, it's like, it's just so hard to think about how long term this, this may be in terms of being able to sit with our friends and see a large concert.
1: Some of the numbers, Aaron, that, that you just talked, I think Canadians should pay attention. To. I'm actually shocked and surprised at those numbers um, in terms of the economic impact of, of Canada's music economy. Andrew, a question for you. The toucan, you know, as the, as the manager of the toucan, you must feel you're contributing in that way economically to to Kingston. The Toucan itself has been a cornerstone of Kingston's live music scene for many years. And, you know, many bands and artists claim to have even got their start there. Aaron, I think you've actually played there, it sounds like. but It's actually hard to imagine Kingston without the Toucan. Just how much does the pub rely on live music and how difficult has not being able to host live music events made things for you?
4: Well, we're half a restaurant as well, so we're not as totally hundred percent reliant on live music. So not compared to some places where it's just a sole venue, we have income coming in, whatever they're giving us now for the patio, but live music was a big part of what we did. We had three for sure nights a week of, of live music, sometimes four nights. And then we'd have a DJ the other nights and there's always something going on. And that's the, yeah, we certainly feel we're contributing to the downtown vibe and, As Aaron mentioned, bringing people down and how it's trickled down through all sorts of economies. We don't know where it's going to go, though. We want to bring it back and bring it back as soon as we can and as safely as we can, but it's going to be so tough. Tough to what it was for that way.
1: Chris, by contrast, um, Musiki Cafe hasn't been around as long as the Toucan, but in just a few short years, I think Musiki has become arguably one of the favorite venues here in Kingston amongst local music lovers and musicians for live music. Um, Seeing as music is practically baked into your name, how have you felt the impact of not being able to host live music?
5: Uh, It's been incredibly uh, different, you know, from the start of uh, the pandemic and everything changing. We are um, built around, like you were saying, live music so so, i mean we do it every night of the week we do uh, live bands people come mostly for for this in fact we we went into this business as more of of a live music venue uh, above being even a bar but of course the the bar aspect kind of keeps the venue doors open as far as making an income there Um, but you know we also kind of uh support all these different bands that come through every every night and uh and we're uh, often relying on that so it's it's uh it's been quite the change now that uh that that's done we've uh, had a lot of bands that we've been talking to that uh they're they're suffering they like you know just without being able to uh to do their regular shows in between musiki and other places and then of course you know we've had to completely change our what we've been doing every day. And uh, in fact, we, we stayed closed for, for a long time and we're just starting to open up on the weekends and explore other options to try to get bands, uh, you know, paid and playing and hopefully get, uh, get to public to be able to feel comfortable to come out and uh, enjoy it in one form or another. But it's a struggle to try to, it's, it's reinventing, you know, the, the wheel in a, in a, in a sense and who knows how long it's going to last for. And people I think are questioning is it worth it to go through all the effort to try to reinvent the wheel here? And uh, it seems like we have no choice to at least try. And it's interesting that
1: you've been talking to artists as well. There's a lot of many artists play Musiki quite regularly. And I think there's there's a handful of them that that will maybe even play their weekly. Um, I would imagine that it's a, it, it had become a reliable source of income uh, for those those artists and those bands. What what are some of the things that they're telling you, and what are some of the things that you're hearing from those bands and artists as you uh, as you continue conversations with them?
5: Well, um, at first, everyone was nervous, you know, with what was going on with the COVID nineteen. You know, every, of course, everyone was nervous to be exposed you know so the thought of even kind of we we dabbled around with doing uh, some live streams and things and i and i know the i know i've seen some from Tucan as well we had we had troubles with our internet and it was uh, it was difficult to go that route but we but we did try that but people then were were ner- like the, a lot of the bands regular bands uh that come to musiki were still nervous at the time to even do that but uh as of lately over the last um you know i'd say a m- couple weeks to a month talking to some of the some of the bands that come out regularly to muziki everyone is, seems quite eager at this point to get back into the scene and get back playing again if not for for the income uh just this is what they do you know you, you kind of uh you lose uh, steam you know without being able to do your thing without being able to perform so i think people at this point are are just ready to ready to play you know they they, however we can figure out how to do it they're ready and waiting i got a
1: question for aaron aaron the this is very interesting to hear the perspective of some of kingston's uh, live music venues i know that the canadian independent venue coalition started a campaign under the hashtag support canadian venues and it sparked a lot of advocacy coast to coast by Canadian artists from Broken Social Scene and Dan Mangan to our own Tragically Hip here in Kingston. Has this campaign helped lead to the recent pledge by the national government of $20 million towards supporting Canada's live music sector?
3: That $20 million had been committed before the coalition was created. I think what the coalition has helped to do is to really raise public awareness um, and I think it's a very public facing campaign. I think the government, um, is, you know, well aware of the plight and their preoccupation is with, you know, so many small businesses and not just venues. I mean, I wanted to make sure that I talked about the ecology too, because whenever we say venues, and of course we mean artists, we also mean managers, agents, road managers, crew, front of house, depending on the size of the venue, you know, all volunteers box office all the entire world that makes up the live music industry tech you name it um and so what what's really important through you know raising awareness of the of the like the venues are are a great opportunity to because they're so many of them are so fundamental like the can not only to their city but to their neighborhood they create reasons for people to not just come downtown but probably live downtown um, and, to, and, to, and to put a city like Kingston on the map, I mean, you know, we've got, I, we've got the, the Black Sheep in Wakefield, Quebec, 15 minutes north of Ottawa. I mean, the Black Sheep is, is one of the, like the two Toucan, one of the most important listing rooms in the country, like a place where you discover music that you know um, could, you could be around forever. I, I mean, it's just so, so, such an important building block. Um, to an artist's career and uh, to shine a spotlight on the venues is to really expose the broader industry and help um, help the public understand. Because again, like I think, as we re- move to the stage three thing, a lot of people and people stop me on the street, in my neighborhood, and they're like, oh, you must be so happy to be getting back to work. And 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 they mean well, um, but I just think there's a general disconnect. And the the live music industry is complex, and it's um, also it's a very cash based business. It was already in, so, in some cases, not all venues, but some live on the thin edge of the wedge at the best of times. And that was something we were working on. And that's part of the reason that we exist at the Canadian Live Music Association, again, is to really build capacity in the sector and identify ways to fortify that capacity and grow it. And I can tell you, this, the, the live music industry in Canada and globally was poised to have its best year on record. It was going to be a blockbuster year, not just at outdoor festivals, but indoors as well. So, um, you know, the role the venues play um, and all of the advocacy work, I think, has given us a great opportunity to help governments and others understand uh, why we matter.
2: And given like the size and the impact that the uh, live music economy has, why do you think it's taken to July 7th, I think, to get that $20 million delegated?
3: Okay, so... Canadian Heritage announced the 500 million sustainability fund or or emergency relief fund, pardon me. And there was a broad group of diverse stakeholders from uh, community sports organizations to cultural industries. And you unpack that and it goes forever, the list of, but they were basically working to support their existing clientele. So phase one went to people who already had a relationship with the Department of Canadian Heritage, Factor Music Action Canada Council, so because that was easy, it was relatively easy. Like, okay, we know these people. They came up with a formula which was twenty five percent of their prior allocation, whether it was a project grant or or core funding or whatever you got. If you got a hundred dollars from Canadian Heritage in the past, you automatically got twenty five dollars, and that was yours to go to your bottom line. Here in phase two. And we're in the throes of this right now. So phase two was launched two weeks ago. Um, it's proving to be problematic, the eligibility criteria, but we're working through it. Meant to catch the rest of, and we'll focus exclusively on live music, although there are other subsectors in, in various, again, sports, cultural industries who will be receiving some money. But $20 million come to live music. But they had to figure out who and how and when and what for and because they don't know this community and and i can't help but take the opportunity here to say because again canadian live music association was created in part to help government understand who we are and i've had a very long almost six-year conversation with the federal government around the importance of the live music sector Uh, and those have been difficult conversations and uh there was a point where i had said many years ago you know if you if anything bad was to happen to live music industry the rest of the industry would be in trouble. And it, and my, that comment was met with a sort of a bit of a guffaw and like, oh, come on here. And like, you, you know, as if, and, uh, it became, and it, with all, like I, I don't, I, the government's working very hard. I really want to make this clear as frustrating as it's been for us, the, the heritage and, and the federal government in general, I think are doing an excellent job of trying to figure out an unprecedented situation. It's not easy. So the 20 million gets announced to have to figure out how to dole it out and they don't have a relationship with any of the people who are going to get it. So they don't know, you know what's it going to cost. I mean, I've been very, you know, we were very grateful for 20 million and I've called it a good start. It's a step down a very long road. Other countries as, as we've seen the UK, Australia, Sweden, Denmark, Germany have committed much more to live performance but I do feel cautiously optimistic that we're going to get through this whole phase one, phase two thing and then sort of continue to figure out what's necessary. I mean, there's simply if the, you know, the relief, me- the federal relief measures are are part of the solution. But if we're if we're talking about shuttering an entire industry with zero revenue, this is a distinction that has to be constantly made because, you know, sure, there are venues that can sell food or maybe they can, you know, sell a bottle of wine out of there or, or what do take out. It's all fine. But ultimately, as I said earlier, the math doesn't work. And so if we're going to, if we're looking at a year from now or hopefully less, we need a plan because this is a live music industry that will come back and help this country's economy rebuild and recover. We have a role to play. We're anxious to play it. We want to be intact. We want to be able to hit the ground running, but without support, we'll be a shadow of our former selves and this country may need us and we want to be here.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that the importance of having that plan. Now, who's, where does that plan come from? Who's responsible for creating that? Is that something that would be created by the government that we're just waiting for, you know, for them to pass down, or is that something that would be done in? In collaboration um, with many different stakeholders across the
3: country. Oh, uh, oh, it's, it's. you know, I can tell you from day one of this pandemic, we've been putting recommendations and plans in front of the government on a weekly basis. Your eyes would roll back in your head if you saw my files on this. I mean, it's endless. And we've been tweaking and massaging, finessing, like, OK, that we think this will work. Here's what Australia is doing and why. Here's how we can apply this here endless recommendations and the government's open to that to a certain extent. I mean, they're dealing with everybody. Right. And so, you know, we have to wait sometimes and that's okay. Fully understand that. And we always appreciate the the effort and energy they put into conversations with us to, to try and help and, and sort of plan for the long term. But it the onus is on industry. It's why it's so important that we are working together as an industry right now, because I've said this many times, that this is definitely one of the silver linings, like my job has been to build and grow this organization. You know, we've had more members, new members in the last four months than we've had in last year. It's because the awareness, like, the, you know, we... we uh, light bulbs go off, like oh, we have a voice. We have a voice in Ottawa, and it's good. I mean, we're we're a pretty young organization, and and it's it's hard in the live music industry. We're very proprietary, territorial, competitive entrepreneurs. We don't always play well together. We don't want to play well together. It's like we you know we we fight for our space, and and we like to keep it that way. We've never needed really to work together like this before. And, and I believe we're getting more and more united every day. There's no question about that. And, and that is essential in telling our story to government and moving this forward in a really productive, positive way that saves as many of us as possible.
1: Mm, agreed. Chris, a question for you. How do you feel about, hopefully, the things that Aaron are saying are music to your ears, pardon the pun, Um but, you know, with funding and support becoming available, how do you feel about the recent announcement by Heritage Minister Stephen Gilboa of the program that lets owners of for-profit venues like Musiki apply for funding?
5: I think kind of a common misconception is is that, uh, well, I know in our case anyways, I'm not sure about uh, other venues, it's not really, It's it's not like the venue is profiting all kinds of money from any given artist that's playing there it's usually, uh, and again, in our case, I'm not sure about all venues, but, uh, we're kind of, uh, supporting the artists, uh, as much as, you know, it's a, it goes both ways, but, um, so it, it actually costs money in the, in the long run, um, for us to, to be doing this and, and keeping it consecutive and, and every day, that kind of way. So it's, uh, it, it is costly. And one thing, you know, as far as, uh, Funding goes, um, I think that would be good, but, uh, you know, I, I'm worried that I think a lot of places are, are going to be forced to focus on some of the other, uh, like in our situation, you know, it focus on, um, say, the, the bar revenue as opposed to, you know, putting any money in towards this uh, live music, which, you know, we still will continue to do because that is what uh, what the bar is or what uh, Muziki is but I have a feeling it's going to be difficult for some places or for all places to, to be kind of uh, putting this extra cost and effort into, uh, doing the support and dedicating time in, into this. So I think, uh, that ultimately, uh, a lot of the people who are uh, coming to enjoy the music or even enjoying it from a distance, whether it's streaming or, or, or anything. Um, but, uh, if they're coming to enjoy it, you know, we have to kind of, uh, pool together as well as, uh, you know, as well as any kind of government funding we can get. But uh, if people can kind of, uh, think a little differently on it when they, when they, uh, go out to see music, just to, you know, to consider the fact that it needs to cost something. They need, often they, you know, people think that it's all free and they don't, sometimes people don't think about it too much, but I think now more than ever, people coming to enjoy the music need to think about the fact that, uh, you know, they might, uh, have to be paying for, for something in order to, to do this and, and to contribute.
1: Andrew, what's your perspective on on this? Is the relief that is being offered up and that is becoming accessible to venues like the Toucan um, of any relief to you at all?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure if we're going to be eligible, as I say, because we're half a restaurant, right? We're not a sole venue. I'm not sure if that's meant for us, but, but any help we get. What we're going to face is with our model at the camp is how we're going to pay the bands. You know, even when we're open, we, we rely on the bar sales to create some cash. So we can, we just started paying the bands many years ago. We stopped having someone at the door, but we did that because we could uh, rely on uh, bar sales, but we're not going to have that volume anymore. So looking ahead to when we do are able to open and get people in, we're not going to have that volume. So, any help from the government to be able to pay the bands, you know, we, we still have a venue, but we want to get some money to the bands. Ultimately it's going to be difficult.
1: So you're saying that there's an impact on your very business model around live music. Whereas I think one of the great things about the Toucan is it's been well known that you don't charge cover for the live music and, and you pay the bands, I guess, instead, as you were explaining here, through a portion of the revenues generated by the bar sales and so you're you're saying that you you may be faced with a difficult decision to to change that model.
4: Well, we'll be able to have bands, but we won't be able to certainly give them any of the money they used to get. That's that's the issue. So it's going to have to be a combination of uh, money through live streaming and the uh, you know, the application the, the tip jar application maybe through that, and uh, and we'll, we might have to go back to charging the door, which is hard to do at the pub. <laughs> so there's many many options available, but, you know. It won't be the same as before for a long time. I, I can see that, unfortunately.
2: Since the both Tucan and Musiki are so well connected in the Kingston music scene, have you been approached by any bands or artists in town with ideas for collaboration, given the circumstances?
4: Well, just the live streaming yeah. stuff. Uh, they all want to do that still. And it was a shame that they shut that down, as I, as I mentioned earlier, though. The local government shut it down, and they didn't even inspect it. They would have seen it was quite safe.
1: Andrew, so, could, while we're off. on that point, can you just explain the situation that transpired there as you were attempting to do a live streaming show um, safely in your own venue?
4: Well, we finally got it up and running, and all the technical <laughs> details worked out, but we we're able to live stream, and it was it was quite popular with our uh, you know our hundreds of Facebook fans of the toucan. And all of a sudden, we got a call from the local health board, just stopping it. And I inquired. They did not, I didn't talk to the person from the health board, but they hadn't actually visited or seen what we we're doing. They just assumed it was unsafe without actually seeing it. And that was that was a frustrating part. In which if they saw, they see it's quite safe. And again, we're doing whatever we can to try and help help the bands out.
3: There are lots of examples of that happening in other places too. And yeah. and I'd be happy to connect with you after this, Andrew, um, because it's it's not every city is sending in the. Um, social distancing police, but they really do need to explain to you exactly what their issues were so you can respond to them for the next
4: time. Well, we want to be as safe as anyone, you know, we, we don't want to yeah. be that, that place. We, we're the yeah. you know, it's most important. Yeah, you want to get it right. Is. If yeah. our staff aren't safe and healthy, then the whole thing shut down. So, of course, yeah. we're going to be very, very safe in what we're doing.
1: Aaron, it's interesting that you brought that up. I'm wondering if... We only hear what we hear. Venue owners like Andrew and Chris very busy. They can't pay attention to everything. But what other programs or resources might be available to for-profit venues like Musiki or festivals and the like that, that are also haven't been able to generate revenue um, for, for, through live music performances that they may not know about that they might want to be investigating? Are there other sources out there that they should be looking into?
3: Yeah, for sure. I want to say that even if you don't think you're eligible for support and it's not funding, it is emergency relief money through the Canadian Heritage 20 million. Just apply. See if you can get yourself through the, the eligibility criteria. Do, just apply. We're we're actually encouraging everyone to apply as we work in the background to finesse what we hope will be some changes to loosen restrictions around the eligibility, because they're not they're not working for everybody. And we really hope that heritage will be open to some of that. So if you feel like you can just do. Um, and that's a message for everybody or anyone listening who feels like that you know who is a live music stakeholder who feels like they might be well captured in the list of stakeholders. And then so there's a whole bunch of things that are happening behind the scenes. I am the co-chair of something called the Ontario Music Panel, which is uh, working with Minister Lisa McLeod, who's the Culture Minister in the province. Um, we made a report with a suite of recommendations submitted a couple of weeks ago to the standing committee on finance in the province to sort of outline some things, measures that we think um, would be beneficial. We're looking at all kinds of things with uh, different groups, including venues around how, how can we get like, the insurance piece is huge, right? All the overhead costs that venues are continuing to pay. It's astronomical in some cases. So, how can we work with provinces? Where do we see opportunities that are that are potentially cost neutral for a province, but they can help us leverage a different kind of conversation that would be helpful? And then we're certainly working, as a, as I a indicated, you know, long term with the federal government and the provinces to sort of build some sort of you know whether it's a bailout or sustainability programming package um, that will respond to the needs of this entire industry. So it's early days. It still feels like I'm on my way to the airport to get to the Junos, frankly. Every day is Groundhog Day for many of us, but uh, things will happen slowly. But surely, I think that this country, I think that there are a lot of powers that be that recognize the critical importance of the industry. And and again, be, we're, we're not alone in the no revenue. I mean, if you look at some of the tourism sectors, a lot of them are really, really suffering. But there is an awareness of, of those industries that are under the tourism um, umbrella and how to sort of reboot um, slowly and and meanwhile, like keeping keeping them on life support to a certain extent. Um, but Andrew, I just wanted to respond to your comment about like there, there'd be no question in my like every live music venue I know who's attempting to use their space to produce some innovative project is doing everything they can. And I think it's, it's, it's early days for public health too, to sort of explain like what's, what's okay. And what isn't, um, we're in the process of, um, submitting a, a, a reopening document to the province with kind of high level guidelines for venues that they would then customize, um, with the hopes that public health will start to understand our industry even better so that before you get that call, they've got this like a reopening guide for live music venues. Okay, here's what the industry says is the best practice or standard, but let's hold this up to what the toucan's doing. Let's have a conversation with the can and see where we need to finesse to make sure that everyone is comfortable. And yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone's doing the very best they can in, in this wild, wild west. It is particularly, the inconsistencies not in live music, but elsewhere are, are rampant. So up to us to sort of get on the same page and work together.
2: We've spoken a good deal about uh, the perspective of from venues and the perspective of musicians. We haven't spoken too much about the average music listener and the average customer, essentially given not everyone's necessarily going to be comfortable just yet, like going back to seeing shows, even when, you know, things really start moving again until we get to that point what are some things that your average music lover can do for their, uh, their venues right now?
5: I, I would say uh, again, just to, to kind of keep um, an open mind to, uh, and in a consideration of, of the difficult times it is mostly, I would say for musicians and performing artists and for, for the venues that uh, stayed them just to be uh, mindful of, of, of the fact, you know, it's, it's not how it, was you know, and 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 free music was you know a thing that was was accessible because you know enough people are out and about that, uh, like Andrew was saying, you know we can kind of uh, make enough money off of the the bars to kind of support uh, the musicians, the sound techs. The bar staff and, and and everyone in the venue, but uh, but at this point, uh, there's not enough people out and about to do that. So you know, ideally, at least you know, kind of be paying the you know, maybe putting in a little contribution towards the towards the musicians themselves would uh, would go a long way. Then we'd uh, ideally be able to kind of keep things rolling, and and just as long as people are are aware and mindful of that, then uh, I think that that would really go a long way.
1: Yeah, that's a really important point. Um, Andrew, I wanted to get your point of view with the announcement by the Ontario Premier that our province is clear to proceed into Stage 3 of the province's recovery plan. What does that look like for you and the Toucan when the Premier says every corner of our province will be getting back to work? Is that true for venues like the Toucan? Chris just shared his perspective on that, but will you be back to business as usual come this Friday?
4: No, we're... uh... We're probably a bit nervous about it to be honest. I mean he just that's how he does it. He just springs up on you. You've got a few days, so all of a sudden we have to hire people. And it's funny our sound man got hold of us two minutes after the announcement. Are we gonna have bands this weekend? And I would love to, but no, no, certainly not. And I can't I I'm not sure what we can do in the future because because of all the health restrictions and, and how many people we have in there. It's it's a bit of a little nightmare to be honest. We're still—it's—it's it's early days yet, uh, Rob, to to figure out how we're going to actually do it. But we, we, you know, if we can safely get a band in there, we'll we will certainly do it. Um, I can't see it soon, though.
1: Aaron, I'm wondering uh, if you have any advice for Ontario's venues who are allowed to enter Stage Three, or maybe even for those in the, in the Greater Toronto Area who aren't yet allowed to enter stage three what what kind of advice do you give them as as we sort of head towards recovery
3: proceed with caution extreme caution don't take chances um and i you know honestly i mean it's not like i'm i'm i expect any of them will i mean hearing andrew just fills me with so much hope i'm so glad that it's hard to know where people are at like if they're chomping at the bit and it's like okay like i'm done with this let's just get back to business but the, so, as I mentioned, the Canadian Lab Music Association will have a, a reopening recommendations document, and uh, I, we're, we're hoping that the province will use it with public health. And what we really needed to do is get to public health, so that when venues are thinking, they can they can coordinate because they're all so different, and they they'll need to customize based on our our suggestions. But um, yeah, I, I would just I would just go slow. I think that the the PPE piece is very real like very, very real. So how are we all going to pay for all this PPE? I mean, other industries have been struggling with that already, right? Like now there's plexiglass everywhere. Somebody's making it, somebody's selling it. We're we're actually, we have the Canadian Live Music Association. We have a series of weekly calls and uh, upcoming is a PPE discussion, I think next week or two weeks um, with experts from the PPE field who can tell us how to get it and and how to use it properly and all those things. So like just getting educated on what that looks like and talking to your your networks, especially in town, I think is really important that, that cities are working together. So the Kingston venues should be talking to each other. So there's consistency and raising ultimately that therefore consumer confidence So that when you go out, everyone's having the same experience. And something I learned yesterday in a meeting with the province was that fans want to be shown. So if you can do like is it safe to come to the toucan? Like maybe it's a a YouTube video or a video on your Facebook page where you're actually showing people what you're doing. And at first I think the feeling was, well, look, if, if, if I'll just say venue X, if venue X has to work this hard to show us how clean they are, maybe they're not clean at all. (laughs) But now the feeling is very clearly the research demonstrates that fans and consumers want to know what they're walking into they want to feel safe and the way they're going to feel safe is if you show them what you're doing so they have a chance to decide before they show up what to see that in motion and to know know what to expect and i want to say something as a consumer i i was there's a i went to an outlet mall um uh, one of those big outdoor places and every single store had a different protocol and i have to say and i'm 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 probably more on the chilled scale than the than the freaked out scale. Um I was with my kids and even my kids were like, whoa, like one store lets three people in at a time. One store, anybody goes in. One store you can try and close, next door you can't. One one store, hand sanitizer, map, yes, mask, no. Like this was before mask for mandatory. Um, and just that made me feel very afraid. I was like, nobody knows what they're doing.
5: I found the same. It was very difficult to get clear answers, and things are changing constantly. I I thought it would be nice if uh, you know that they, they like you know the health departments had a representative maybe that would go around and even you know be available to ask questions, and you you can get a, a real answer from from someone in person, and maybe even they have some sort of system where. They check things out and give you a kind of a a gold star. You're doing all the right things. Here you go. And then that might be something comforting for public as well to be able to know that, okay, the public health department has been through here. There's been a representative through, they've been had a chance to ask all the questions they need. And then as far as the public goes, there's a a bit of a safety uh, rating that's been checked off. And uh, I think that would go a long way, but uh, that takes a, a certain amount of, uh, you know money and and uh, organization as well just to have that kind of thing organized
3: that's been raised actually chris and i think it's something that could maybe happen long term but there's something we have to reconcile here and that is that public health is like walking the same road we're all walking which is like i don't think anybody has the rule book yet and it's being written in real time which is so i think in the long run i think you're probably right and it's a and it's a great suggestion like some sort of certification or seal seal of approval right Um, But So one reason why we're submitting recommendations from the association to the province is because the province and the premier's statement on Monday asked for them. So if you think that you can do something and we need to know about it, then that is because public health is so overloaded and overwhelmed and doesn't have the nuance in every industry. How could they Um, that they're looking to industry to lead and in particular to associations? And we're happy to do that. While at the same time talking amongst ourselves and reinforcing what needs to be a deep, deep, deep commitment to, and obviously, and I I think we all agree here, to consumer consumer safety, artist safety, and worker safety.
1: Aaron... I know you got to go here. I just want one last question for you. It's interesting about all the work that you've been doing on behalf of uh, of venues, festivals, the entire live music economy across Canada. You're a membership-driven association. I was wondering if you could um, explain as a source of knowledge and ed- education. Certainly, during COVID nineteen, you've been instrumental. The CLMA has been. But what are some of the overall benefits of membership that um, venue owners like say Andrew? and Chris here on the call can look to the CLMA for, to provide.
3: You know, as I alluded to earlier, the live music industry in Canada, it's, it, it has missed opportunities to get its shit together. And now we have no choice and I'm sorry to put it bluntly. So we have an internal story telling and external storytelling internally. We need to get together around the same table and decide who we are and what we want. Do we want to work together? What are our common goals? How can we achieve them? We might be competitors We might not like each other. Most of us love each other. I like Andrew already, um, but uh, but th- this is a reality. And we've we've done this to ourselves. If we look at other subsectors in the music industry, from songwriters, to music publishers, to independent labels, you name it, those associ- associations have been around for 40, 50 years. They've written cultural policy in this country. There's a reason phase one clients got their money quickly and relatively easily. And deservedly so, right? So the live music industry needs to be working together. We need to hear from each other. We need to stay united. Even if we disagree, there's lots of room for discussion and dialogue. And in fact, I wouldn't have it any any other way. They'd need a different boss if, if it was like, you know, it's this or no way. I mean, we're all learning all the time. And this, this situation has created a great opportunity for that as well. And then the external storytelling part to government to our economic size scope, what happens when there's a, a change or a shift in that, why what we do matters for artists, how we facilitate the touring and dissemination of, of content Canadian content, how we develop the careers of artists, why the toucan is, and again, I sort of picking on the toucan of this whole, why the toucan is so essential to the career development of artists. And of course the toucan, and along with maybe a small handful of clubs in this country has an incredible story to tell. You take the toucan out. Do we have the tragically hip? I mean, do we really, you know, these are stories that we need to tell. We need to entrench that reality. And I'll, I'll, I'll sort of try and close the loop on my thought here Canadians have consumed more live music in the last four months than in the history of ever. If we can't, as average people in this country, stand up and say why live music matters today, then we haven't been paying attention to our own emotional and mental heartbeat. Live music has given us, many of us, reasons to get out of bed in the morning through this. It's inspired us, and I I don't think it's going out on a limb to say it's saved us. So we need to keep that in mind when we're talking to government and the Canadian live music association is the voice of the industry and working together. You know, we need to come out of this stronger than ever so that when we are faced with this again in the future, may we never be, but if we are, there is no question that live music is, is part of the cultural economic and social fabric of this country. We are a legitimate industry. We create jobs and we change lives. And that's why those working in the industry should be members so that we can make sure that that message is clear and never, ever forgotten.
1: Amen. Um, I think I need a tissue. Aaron Benjamin, uh, president of the, of the Canadian live music association. Let me try that again. Aaron Benjamin, ca- president of the Canadian live music association. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight and your passion. Um, we feel that enthusiasm here in Kingston, especially. So we appreciate you joining us.
3: It's been a total pleasure. And and to um, uh, Chris and Andrew, thank you for everything that you're doing for your venues and for your city. And Kingston is one of the most important live music uh, destinations in this country. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank all of you for doing what you can to pre COVID and post COVID because we needed you then and we need you now. Thank you everyone.
1: Chris Andrew was sharing with us some of the things that the two toucan- had been doing or trying to do with, with the live streaming um, during the pandemic. It was quite popular uh, for the audience that the can has created online. Um, you have an initiative that you started at Musiki as well. I, I don't want to butcher the name here, but I think it's pronounced Yabox. Am I right?
5: Yeah, we, um, uh, so we, we started, uh, we, we had a little bit of troubles just with internet. And so, uh, we, we went, kind of went a different route and, uh, I was trying to figure out, uh, you know, ways that, that we can do this alternatively again, just to kind of keep the band getting something. Um, and, and the musicians, mind you, this kind of works towards people who have, uh, more recordings and, and, and such as well. But, um, so we started the Yaw box, which is, well, Musiki is, is, is finished for music and Yaw is finished for share. For so it's, uh, so the share box and it's the, the idea of it is that, um, you know, we can purchase music and art from some of the local artists and musicians and, uh, people will be able to sign up for this mail out box and they would, uh, you know, they would get samples of, of this recordings and we've offered to do recordings as well in the, in our space. If, if someone doesn't have an album or something and, uh, you know, and some of the band merch as well as, uh, you know, some of our, our, our merch and things like that. Um, and just, just kind of like, a you know, a little loot bag of, uh, of stuff mailed out every, uh, every few months. And this, helps to um to kind of put the music into people's hands and into people's ears and also continue to uh to provide some jobs for people um you know so that we you know that we have to organize this we have to package this and of course the artists and the musicians as well are are getting music purchased from them to put into this uh into this mail box
1: andrew um last question i think as we enter stage three of our COVID-19 recovery plan, what message do you have for some of the bands and artists locally here in Kingston who have played the toucan or want to play the toucan? What do you have to say to them in terms of, um, uh, setting their expectations on, uh, the future of, you know, one of the city's most cherished live music venues?
4: Well, the first thing I say is be patient because we certainly don't know, uh, what's going to happen yet so just a little patience and well you know it's not going to be the same for at least a year I I, I, you know throughout these discussions by the way the first thing I'm thinking of is man it's hard to put on a punk show you know people want to get off their seats and start slam dancing and so we haven't even talked about dancing and and, you know that kind of participation and I can't see them allowing that it's going to be like uh what's what's the movie uh Footloose. Footloose, 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 footloose. It's going to be like that for a while. No no dancing or anything. is <laughs> It'll be allowed. I can't see that. So yeah, to the bands, a little bit of patience. And we're going to do our best to have it organized, something safe, where they can sit inside and, and watch the bands. But it's going to be a while yet, I think. It's going to be tough and tough. You know, our priority at the pub right now is just keep the place safe for the customers. And unfortunately, the live music is not a priority right away. It's how we're going to uh, enact all these stage three uh, protocols. It's going to be tough. So a little bit of patience.
1: Well, Andrew Brown of the Toucan and Chris Clintoning of Musiki Cafe here in Kingston, really appreciate you guys spending some time with us. And um, who knows, maybe there will be an opportunity to speak to you guys again.
5: Well, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for putting this on, this was uh, this great. We could uh, regroup again in a few or three months or six months and
4: see where things at. I suggest Rob. Actually, that know.
1: would be a good idea. Yeah. We should get we should do another one yeah. in six months and see. I mean, who knows right what's going to happen, right? It's I mean, by then we could be in another lockdown. Who knows? Yeah, and well, that's
2: why it's good to hear that you're taking all these extra precautions.
4: You know, it's it's a relief to hear. Yeah. Well, we tried it. My God, uh, all our hands are drying off. All the sanitizer at the pub is <laughs> <laughs> like, nonstop. nonstop. Yeah. But you, have to, you have to do whatever. It's it's all about making the customers feel safe, right? Ultimately, mm-hmm. it's, you know, your, your staff have to be yeah. safe. Your customers have to feel safe if they're going to enter
1: yeah. a, a, a venue. Well, we'll be watching things closely. I'll see
5: you down the alleyways, Chris. I got it. We'll, see you. we'll see you there. We'll see you there soon. Okay,
1: brother.
4: Cheers, man. Thanks, guys. Okay, see you, Andrew. All the best. Bye guys.
0: This has been Kingston Live. We encourage you to rate us on your listening platform of choice and subscribe where possible. Kingston Live is a member of the Canadian Live Music Association and was recorded in Kingston at Titan Sound. Writing and research by Peter Sanfilippo. Voiceover and technical direction by John Sanfilippo. Executive producer Rob Howard. Special thanks to Jackson Coulter and Reed Cunningham. Opinions expressed by Kingston Live guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Kingston Live hosts and staff. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at kingstonlive.ca.